about the weather. <laughs> Don't blame me. Well, in the next uh, three weeks, I'm going to uh, finish our series, uh, Living God's Kingdom Life. And I'm going to finish it, finish it off with um, three parables, all found in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, each of them teach us how to live in light of Jesus' second coming. So, the last part of the kingdom. And the parable I want to talk about today is known as the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids and uh, found in the first 16 verses. So the setting of the parable is basically a Jewish wedding. And the bridegroom is very, very late for his own wedding. Now, of course, in Western weddings, it's not typically the groom who is late. It's the other way around. It's typically the bride who is late. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys have all you know, witnessed and heard about weddings gone bad. We're not starting on time at all. But I once heard about a, uh, about a wedding where the bride was nowhere to be seen. And it was an urban city setting. And the groom and the wedding party, and of course all the guests are in the church. They're waiting, twiddling their thumbs. And uh, as it turns out, the bride and her wedding party got stuck in traffic a few yards away. And uh, so the bridesmaids and the bride decided to get out of the car and just walk the rest of the way to the church. And by this time, the pastor was wondering, where where is everyone? So he actually went out to the street and saw them coming. And so he's holding up traffic like this, you know, waving the wedding party in. And so they walk down the street toward the church, and everyone's honking their horns, of course, because, you know, they're in this beautiful attire, wedding dress and all, strangers waving, good luck, may go well with you, etc., etc. And they're about 15 minutes late, which isn't too bad, really, right? So Jewish weddings uh, began with the groom and some of his close friends, I guess you call call him his wedding party, his, his friends, his groomsmen, and they leave his home or some other venue to go to the bride's home or some other venue, okay, as far as we can discern. And so, in other words, he goes to pick up the bride to go to the location where they have the wedding, wedding celebration. And it took place not during the day, but at night, so, of course, in those days, there are no street lights to lighten the path or the road, making it necessary for the bridesmaids to bring light. So this is where the story um, talks about them carrying lamps. And uh, we're quite sure that they were probably torches with rags dipped in oil. And that would, of course, ignite these torches, torches to light the way in front of them. In fact, even today in the Middle East, torch-lit wedding processions at night are currently known and practiced. So in this parable, the groom is held up much longer than normal before he is greeted by the bridesmaids. Now, the parable is also rooted in Jewish tradition of contrasting the wisdom, uh, wisdom and foolishness. So in the book of Proverbs, for example, the writer treats wisdom and folly as two women. 
And in this story, we have basically five wise bridesmaids and five foolish bridesmaids. So the question, of course, as you read this parable is, which five would you rather be? Would you rather be the wise bridesmaids or the foolish bridesmaids? Now, all ten of them took with them their torches at night to meet the groom in the darkness of the night. But there is one key difference between the five wise ones and the five foolish ones. The foolish ones didn't bring any extra olive oil to fuel their torches. The wise bridesmaids, on the other hand, brought oil in jars along with their torches. And because the groom was long in coming, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, notice that they all fell asleep. Okay? It wasn't just the foolish ones who fell asleep. Everyone fell asleep. So in this parable, there is no blame or no praise attached to either group falling asleep. So we don't want to read too much into this. I just take it as waiting is hard and tiring sometimes. Finally, at midnight, the cry went out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. And so all ten bridesmaids, they wake up and they trim their torches because, of course, it's dark and they have to get the light on the road so they can see their way. But the foolish bridesmaids said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But they replied, no, there would be not enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they went to purchase more oil, the bridegroom arrives. The bridemaids who were prepared and ready went to him and into the wedding banquet. And then the door was shut. And later the foolish bridemaids said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. And then the parable concludes with, a very important verse. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So in this parable, even though the setting is a wedding, um, you actually don't meet the bride because the focus is all on the bride's maids as they wait for the groom. So the question is, What is the message of this parable, and who is it for? So let me just lay out what we know for sure. Jesus is the bridegroom who is returning to earth again. Now, we don't know this precisely from this parable, but we know it from other scripture and context. We know from other sources, Matthew 24, which is just the chapter before this, speaks about the coming of the Son of Man. So we already know the subject, right? The coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man in the Gospels is Jesus' own term for himself. So we already know it's about the return of Jesus at some point. In fact, the last half of Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about his own return as the Son of Man to earth. 
Now, furthermore, about the bridegroom, Jesus has already referred to himself as the bridegroom back in Matthew 9.15. Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? He's referring to himself. This time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. Now, Jesus is referring to himself in the present as the bridegroom. That is why the disciples didn't need to mourn and fast, because he is with them. So if Jesus is the bridegroom, then who are the bridesmaids? Well, the message of the parable was for Israel during Jesus' time on earth, but it's also for the church both past and, of course, today. But all people need to hear the message. Jesus is coming back. The whole world needs to know that. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back to establish his wonderful kingdom that he promised. And the doors to his kingdom are basically flung open to anyone who would commit their lives to Jesus Christ as their loving bridegroom. And so today, Jesus reigns over this entire earth from heaven. But one day he will return as a bridegroom, coming for his true bride, which represents the church, But in this case, in this parable, the church represents basically the bridesmaids. And they anticipate the greatest wedding banquet ever known, as John talks about in Revelations chapter 19. So really, the whole Christian life is thought about as this engagement, this betrothal to Jesus, right? But really, in reality, the wedding takes place when we show up in God's presence in the future in heaven. So what's this about, though? The heart of this parable is simply about being ready. The parable is actually very uncomplicated. It's a very simple parable. Matthew 25, 13, last verse. We read it already. I'll read it again. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And so you always, in parables, you always look at the tail end for some key phrases, and that's it. Be ready. Be ready. Keep watch has been the theme also in Matthew chapter 24, the chapter before. And so this has been a constant theme here of readiness. Uh, Matthew 4, 42 says, therefore, keep watch. There it is again. Because you do not know the day your Lord will come. It is quite evident to anyone that you do not want to be the foolish bridesmaids. Everyone knows that in the story. They were not ready for the coming of the bridegroom. They missed him because they didn't have enough oil to fuel their torches. In other words, they were left unprepared. The bridesmaids, the wise bridesmaids, were prepared with an extra, extra flask of fuel for their torches. It's really that simple. They were ready. The other ones were not ready. And so the entire parable is about anticipating the coming of Jesus at a time we don't know when. Some people say they know when. Don't listen to them because we don't know when, right? Jesus is going to come when he comes back. But the key question is, are you prepared for the return of Jesus for the long haul? Even though he could come back at any time? Interesting tension, isn't it, right? Scripture says he can come back at any time, but... Prepare for the long haul at the same time. 
So the question for us is this. What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to be prepared for Jesus? In this parable, we discover two surprises. So surprise number one. All the bridesmaids looked ready, but were not in the end. Five of them were not ready in the end. Now, we don't want to follow the same pattern as the nation of Israel when Jesus came at his first coming. They weren't ready for him. Many thought they were God's true people because they looked the part. They had good bloodlines. Or they looked right. They did the right religious practices. They had reputations. But this can be very, very deceiving. Now, we talked about the rich young ruler a couple Sundays ago. I'll refer to him again in Matthew 19. But he looked like someone in their world who was blessed by God, right? That was ingrained in the mind of people. He was wealthy. God must be blessing him. In fact, what makes it more complicated is this man probably did good things, right? It's known that Pharisees like him, right, they funded the building of synagogues and projects like that. And in fact, he had the boldness to ask Jesus, is there some good deed that he could do to ensure eternal life? But then the shocking news, Jesus informed him that he needed to sell all his possessions and give to the poor and follow him. Why did Jesus say that? Because he knew that his love for wealth stood in the way from him following Jesus. And so to the average Jew, that story is shocking. It's surprising. And it says he went away sad because he knew his love for wealth. He looked blessed. He looked like someone ready for the afterlife. But he was ill-prepared. His life was not truly surrendered to Jesus. Looks and social expectations can be deceiving. You know, back in 1980, uh, a woman by the name of Rosie Rez won the Boston Marathon, in record time, in fact. And she was awarded a medal, and she was given that traditional olive wreath that they give to winners at the Boston Marathon each year. But some of her competitors knew something was off about this runner. They wondered how a runner whom they have never heard about before in competitive running because you kind of know each other, right? And they don't even remember seeing her on the course. How could she have won? I mean, she was barely sweating. In fact, she didn't look like a typical, lean, well-trained marathoner. Now, as far as the spectators were concerned, as far as the networks and TV Uh, The broadcasters, she was the victor. She crossed the finish line, right? She went right through that tape. But on closer inspection, the suspicions of her competitors were confirmed. Rosie Ruiz, in fact, had not run the full 26 miles. 
They checked the footage. She wasn't anywhere in the footage. They checked all the photographs. She wasn't anywhere in the photographs until the end. And they found out through witnesses that she had cut through and she joined the lead group just in front of them one mile from the end. She looked the part. She had the bib, the number, and everything. But eight days later, she was stripped of her medal and honor. You know, like a marathon, there is a beginning and there is an end. And this parable is very much about the end, isn't it? Right? The parable is about the end of life as we know it. Did you know that? This life will end one day. And the return of Jesus marks the end of the old and the beginning of the new. And Jesus is going to gather together all those who follow him faithfully to the end. Now, we're not talking about sinless perfection. We all know that. But it's simply about being a faithful follower of Jesus who have humbled themselves before God like a helpless child and have genuinely loved God and loved people to the end. In the parable, when the groom finally arrived, it exposed the spiritual inadequacy of the foolish bridesmaids. Their faith was found to be superficial. In other words, it's one thing to look like a Christian, but Jesus is warning us that in the long and often challenging journey of following him, and it is challenging, isn't it, sometimes? And so Jesus talks about, in the Sermon on the Mount, the difficulties of life, the temptation of wealth. It can snuff out one's spiritual life within us if we are not careful. That's why the Bible speaks so much about perseverance, right? The perseverance of the saints. Our life is like a marathon. We have to be faithful to the end. So the question is, will you be ready for Jesus when he returns? Or will you find yourself being distracted by other priorities that tell the true story of who your God really is and who you really follow? Second surprise. Not all who call Jesus their Lord are known by Jesus. Later, after the groom arrived at the wedding celebrations, the five foolish bridesmaids returned, but they stood outside the wedding hall, and the doors were already locked. And so they cried out, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear these words earlier. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so those verse, verses help us to understand 
the words in this parable. So these people, whom the foolish bridesmaids represent, they even appear to be zealous for Jesus and zealous for his mission. They even call Jesus Lord. So they acknowledge that he is God. So let's just say their theology is correct. They prophesied. They proclaim the word of God. They even cast out demons. They even perform miracles. And so in other words, they appear to be impressive-looking Christian people. So why would Jesus ever say to them, I never knew you. Get out from me, you evildoers. Pretty strong words. Well, what is an evildoer? Basically, an evildoer, translated literally, is those who practice lawlessness. So Jesus is simply saying, there may be people who look spiritually impressive, but when you look on closer inspection, after they die and when they meet their maker, in the end, God will reveal to them that they had never submitted themselves to the Lord's authority and his word. It all goes back to what we talked about before, to the necessity of becoming a helpless child. Broken, right? I am a sinner. Fully admitting their weakness and fully trusting Jesus as their Lord. These impressive looking people had never surrendered their life to Jesus because something else was holding them back. And it's deceitful and shocking because they're known for ministry and mission, right? But it's shocking because it was just a front, only a front. So when Jesus says, I never knew you, he is saying, you never had a relationship with me. Knowing is about relationship. There was no intimacy. There was real, no real knowledge of Jesus. No clear submission to the will of God. And so their agenda was really about them. Their motives were skewered. They lacked genuine love for God and love for people. And the Spirit of God was not alive in their hearts. On the positive side, Jesus knows those who listen to his voice and follow him. Remember those verses? That one verse, John 10, 27? My sheep, right? He's trying to you know, discern who the true sheep are. My sheep listen to my voice. They listen to the, the words of their Lord and Savior. And Jesus says, those are the people that I know. Those are the people that have a relationship with me. 
evidence, they listen to me, and they follow me. Right? It's not rocket science. If we are his true sheep, we long to hear his voice, and we follow him. These are the sheep whom Jesus truly knows. And it's a wonderful relationship. It's a special relationship. They have this intimate, genuine relationship with Christ, and they long for the coming of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? You long for the coming of Jesus, and you are not afraid. Right? This is what it means to be ready for Jesus. Wise bridesmaids are not afraid to meet Jesus because they love him. And they long for his coming. And it's a wonderful position to be in instead of being afraid and questioning and wondering. You can have absolute confidence when you surrender your life to Jesus and you love him and you serve him from a genuine heart. You have no questions about your eternal destiny because you just follow And the shepherd loves to lead those who follow. He loves it. There's a man by the name of Robbie Robbins. And he was an Air Force pilot during the Iraq War. And after his 30th mission, he was surprised to be given permission to finally go home. Uh, Basically, the war was over. And... uh, After landing back in the States, he drove all the way home. He couldn't wait to get to see his family and his wife and children, and he did not tell them a word. It was this big secret, right? But then he gets dropped off, and he's surprised to see a poster on the garage that says, Welcome home, Dad. How did anyone know? He didn't phone his wife. No one told anyone. This is secret stuff in the military, right? They never expected to leave this quickly, so no one really had any time to communicate with anyone. And so Robin says this, When I walked into the house, the kids, they were about half-dressed for school because it was early in the morning when he arrived. And, of course, they screamed, Daddy! They had no idea. And then his wife Susan came running down the hall, and she looked terrific, he said. Her hair was all fixed. Her makeup was on. She had this crisp yellow dress on. And he says, how did you know? And she says, we didn't. And she answered through tears of joy. She says, once we knew that the war was over, We knew you'd be home one of these days. And we also knew you would try to surprise us, so we made sure that we were ready. Isn't that cool? Always ready. So my question to you, my friends, is are you ready to meet Jesus? In the same way, We must always be prepared from the heart and through our actions. And we do that, we long for Jesus' return because we love him. We care for him. 
and we care for God's people, and we care for this world, this lost world. Waiting is not doing this. Being ready is serving God from a sincere heart. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is Paul speaking. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which, is, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I love that last part. Who long for his appearing. I mean, that to me speaks of this wonderful love for Jesus. That you cannot wait to see the God who you've been talking to and listening to you and allowing him to direct your life. You've been, hopefully you've been doing that all your life. And when you do, you will long for him. Because you know how sweet he is. And on the other side of death, it gets even sweeter. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to be ready. Lord, if we need to confess our sins, may we do that today. And maybe, maybe there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus, never submitted their life to you. And so I invite you. You've heard these words. Ask Jesus to come into your life. Surrender to him. Receive him by faith. And Lord, give us the courage to continue to the end. The journey can be hard, and long, we even fall asleep because we're tired. And so we ask that you would fill us again, that we receive your spirit again and again to give us the strength and the energy to keep on going on faithfully to the very end, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What this morning is uh, communion, and so we're just going to sing one song, and I just invite you to use the song to prepare your heart for the Lord's table. Thank you, Dan. If you want to stand and sing with us.
saw on the Last Supper, when Jesus met with his disciples, um, there's a few words that I just want to highlight very quickly here. And um, of course you know that he said these words while they were eating. Jesus broke the bread, took the bread, and then he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. Then he continued on. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this is what I want to highlight. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so there's a little... a future bit here, right, in this famous passage that we read often for the Lord's Supper. So he's not only talking about remembering his death and his resurrection, but also his appearing when he comes again. But he talks about a meal, and I think Jesus is wonderfully creative. And so here we are, when we remember him, we actually remember him by a meal, right? So, food behind me, cup, bread, potluck, okay? It's all coming. But what Jesus was referring to is, is, I refer to it very quickly today, but this is found in Revelation chapter 19. And he says this, um, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. And then it says, Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So like I mentioned The theme of the wedding comes up in the Gospels uh, quite a few times, and for a good reason, right? When we walk with Jesus, it's like this betrothal, this engagement. I am committed to you, Jesus. And one day he says, I promise to come back and build a home for you. And he talks about this creative, imaginative banquet, this wedding banquet, splendid where the Lamb, who is Jesus, who was slain, will meet with all of his faithful followers, right? The bride. And we will eat with him, which is this picture of intimacy and relationship that you get to be with Jesus forever and ever. And it begins with this banquet. I don't know how long we're going to eat for, but I think we're going to eat all the time. But anyway, it's going to be wonderful and beautiful. And so as we partake partake in communion, think of this wedding. It's the finalization. You're going to be married, in a sense, to Jesus for all eternity. Okay? So think about those words as we come. Let me just pray and and come up while the song is coming. And let's come on this side, and uh, Calvin will be ready to... um, have the bread for you and me the cup and then take both things and have a seat and then we'll part, partake together. Lord Jesus, again, I just thank you. Uh, 
for coming to this world, to giving your life. Life for you. Life that we could not gain ourselves, but only through your death and through your resurrection that we can know you. And Lord, as we think about our future, we anticipate you coming again. We anticipate this wonderful wedding banquet where we get to spend the rest of our lives with you. And so we praise you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you, if you know the Lord Jesus this morning, let's partake together. Rejoice, give thanks, let's partake.
There we go. With that, we will close with the doxology, and we'll also use this to be our blessing for the potluck. So please stand and join us. <laughs>